Welcome to our latest One Church podcast. Our vision is to encourage, equip and empower you to discover a life-changing relationship with God. We hope that this message will inspire you to discover your full potential. Thank you for listening. Hi folks, how are we doing? Uh, Why don't you turn your Bibles to um, Hosea chapter 11 and we'll read from verse 1 together. And it should be on the screen as well if you want to follow along. It says this. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Beals and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? Will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me, even though they call me God Most High. I will by no means exalt them. How, how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zebulun? My heart is changed within me. My compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion when he roars. His children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. So we'll come back to that just in a wee second. Um, Angie kind of alluded to the, the, the series I've just finished. I've just finished a, a three-part series on sex, money, and power. And last time we were talking about sexual ethics. So I think we're on less contentious ground today. But um, I, I hope you have had time to process that, that last word that I gave. And um, it was intended g- genuinely as a conversation starter. So I hope you've had time to think and pray about that, to, to find someone that you trust to talk about that. And if you haven't, you know, if you've not had had the chance to have that conversation yet you know that um, that i am available the leadership or team are available to to talk through and pray with you if that's something that you would like then we're, we're happy to be around for that but like i said hopefully less um contentious ground today what we've just read was a, a, a chunk of the book of hosea and be honest who here has read the book of hosea before I know some people have. I know quite a few of you have, but I know lots of people haven't. And it's confession time. I haven't up until a, a, a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, um, well, I was going to say my wife made me read the book of Hosea. It wasn't quite as, as stark as that. But it's certainly true to say that if Diane hadn't sat me down and, and read together with me a big chunk of the book of Hosea, we wouldn't be talking about what we're talking about today. I mean, just to give you a little bit of context, um, this is all part of, of my wife Diane's love of Bible journaling, which is it's her way of t- a tackling the Bible. It's, it's, you know, everyone has a different way, I think, that they approach the Bible. Some of us, it's just really all about the, that deep dive, that, you know, pulling it apart, the deep theology, the, 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 the kind of word-by-word um, denseness. For, for Diane, one of the things that she finds that, that helps her engage with the Bible is, is to make art, is, is to draw pictures, is to... Um, as she's reading the Bible, creates something that's visual and that helps her engage with it. And you might have spotted here today Diane's enormous Bible. It's enormous because it's got space on the sides. 
so that you can put art and notes and things and exactly because of um, that that she has this huge big bible and i know that making her bible into art is something that she loves to do on her own but it's also i know something she loves to do together with other people and she loves to do it with us as a, a family together with friends and family we've done it as well now Here's where I need to put in a little bit of a disclaimer. I don't want you to get the idea that every day my family is gathering around the dinner table and we're all silently illuminating our Bibles like some sort of kind of Bargetti monastery, you know, <laughs> putting the monk back into Monklands, you know. <laughs> that, that's, we're, we're not that good, guys. I wish we were, but we're not that good. Um, but on special occasions, it is something that we actually do. I, I know, I know my missus well enough that if there's, if there's a bit of free time and it's a special occasion, that that's something that she would like to do together. And, and, and what we do is, when we do it together, is we kind of read a passage of scripture. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll pick something that someone's been reading or uh, often we'll use, you know, you know, you can get devotional books, everyone. Well, I'm sure many people are familiar with that, you know, books that have, you know, read this passage, here's what I think. Sometimes we'll use that as a start off to kind of pick our passage. And what we do is we, we, we read it together and we'll make a wee um, drawing or something or s something in the margins of our Bible because we've all got these Bibles with the big margins. And, and, and one of the things we actually always do is we we'll always put a date when we've done it and, and where we've done it because we've, we've Bible journaled um, kind of all over the world a little bit. Um, Cheryl, do you want to show that first image? So this, this is us somewhere, this is us at the, um, at the foot of a glacier in, in Iceland and that's Bear Grylls's devotional book which we'd used as our kind of um, you know, how, here's how we're going to pick our passage today. So we were, were Bible journaling, that's a few years ago now, um, in Iceland, and we've got a wee note of that. And then here's another one, next, next image, Cheryl. This is a little less exotic. This is the Costa and the Faraday. <laughs> Not quite the um, base of a glacier. But this is, this is recent. This is um, Jamie and Diane just um, Bible journaling together and, and, and making art on their Bible. And, and one of the great things, and I, I'm picking up my missus here because this is all her, you know, I, I'm not as, as clever or as organised as, as, as she is. But um, what this has done is turn our, our Bibles into wee artefacts, you know, they're, they're kind of maps of our life so that you can open um, my Bible, you can open Daniel's Bible, you can open Jamie's Bible and they say that, you know, here's, we together read this passage and here's what we thought and here's where it was and here was the time and the place. So... All of this is to explain why a couple of weeks ago when we had a weekend without the kids, I knew for sure that one of the things that Diane wanted to do was to do some Bible journaling together. And, and we did. What I was not necessarily prepared for was seven full-on chapters of Hosea. Because <laughs> the book of Hosea is a book of prophecy. The words of m one man, and in this case, Hosea, who's a prophet. And the, the job of a prophet is to tell the people what God thinks. And you know, in the case of Hosea, what God thinks is that I'm mad with you guys. That's, that's the word of Hosea to the people of Israel. They're being told how angry and upset God is with them. So for many of the chapters that Diane and, and I were reading together, it was all God saying how hurt he was that his people were abandoned him and what he's going to do because of that. Can, can I give you some of the flavor? Just so you get that, you need, it's important you get the context here. Here are some excerpts from the book of Hosea. This is chapter 5. Judas leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. This is chapter 8. I wrote for them many things of my law, but they regarded them as something foreign. 
Though they offer sacrifices as gifts to me, though they eat the meat, the Lord is not pleased with them. Now he will remember their wickedness and punish their sins. This is chapter 9. My God will reject them because they have not obeyed him. They will be wanderers among the nations and more and more and more. And it was hard reading, to be honest. The anger of God is something that's not easy to take. And as a kind of side point about the Bible, sometimes it's okay for the Bible to be hard, to be difficult, to be, you know, problematic even. That's okay. Because sometimes God said tough things. Anyway, here me and Diane reading through seven chapters. Was it seven chapters? I keep saying seven chapters. I keep thinking that, but I don't know. It was a lot. All of this of an angry and betrayed God. And in fact, I say we were reading it. We weren't even reading it. Because again, Diane's super organized and has, has this down to a T. We are having it read to us by the actor David Sushi. <laughs> because she's got an audiobook. David Sushi, who was Poirot before Kenneth Branagh was Poirot. And he's reading the text. So I'm sitting listening to a classically trained actor offer us beautifully spoken, impeccably delivered line after line after line of the anger and judgment of God. And to be honest, some of us have that image of God, isn't it? That he's just angry a lot. And I think the people at the time probably would have had that image of gods in general. You know, if you asked ancient people what gods are like, they would say, well, gods are just, they're just angry most of the time. And what you have to do is you have to sacrifice, do whatever they say, because they're just itching to smite you most of the time. That's what gods do. So you need to keep your God happy. So I'm listening to David Sushi's wonderful voice telling us how mad God is at length. And then in the middle of all that, something happens. And that's what we read a minute ago. Something unexpected. And we read it a moment ago. In the middle of all his anger, God changes both his attitude and what he says. Instead of, or even perhaps maybe as well as his anger, he remembers how much he loves his people. This is what we read. Do you remember it a minute ago? We read this. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt I called my son. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. That's so tender, so kind. Like a father to his children. He's almost like he's remembering that despite being furious with his people, at the same time he remembers how much he loves them. There's going to be some parents in the room. Do any parents relate to that? How many mothers and fathers here in this room have looked at your ch children and managed to feel overwhelming anger and frustration with them while at the exact same time being utterly convinced that you love them with every fiber of your being? God's like that in his anger with his people. He comes to a realization. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. All these words are um, Ephraim and Israel are used kind of interchangeably for the people of Israel here. And what he's saying is, how can I do this to you? All these things I said I would do to you because of your sin, all this anger, I will not carry out because I love you. And this stopped me in my tracks when I was reading this, because when David Sushi was reading this, because it gives me a look into the heart of God. That in the middle of all that anger, there is love. Which is not perhaps what you might, you might expect in that context. But it gives us a window into the mind and even, dare I say it, the emotions of God. 
It shows us that God is not some sort of odd, distant, wafty cloud somewhere up there who's vaguely aware that there's some not very interesting creatures living in a wee blue planet somewhere over there. But God's passionately, intensely committed to us down here. God has emotions. God feels God feels love for us. And all of this shows us who God is. And knowing who God is is perhaps the most important thing that we can do as human beings down here. He's the source of all things, the beginning and the end. And if we want to understand ourselves better, then the answer lies not inside ourselves, but with him. It's vital to know and understand who God is. And how do we know that? Well, all we can ever know of God is what he reveals to to us about himself. In fact, as we understand people, it's a little bit how we understand God. My wife is fond of saying, when someone shows you who they are, believe them. You know, we form an image of someone based on what they do and say. So if, you know, someone says mean and hurtful things all the time and is selfish with their time and energy, then you might form quite reasonably the opinion this person isn't a nice person. Or or if someone says insightful things and can explain complicated things, well, you might form the opinion that they're a clever person. That's fair enough. What about God? What do we find out from the way he acts and the things he says? Well, we can see that God's eternal creator. He makes things. He's the pre-existing source of all things. We see that he is holy. There's no evil and wickedness in him. He cannot tolerate evil and wickedness. We see that he is vast and powerful. He's, he's not the same kind of being that we are. His knowledge and thoughts are without bounds. He's, he's the most powerful thing in existence. And all these things are true. And I know that um, I have not managed to get to the One Academy, but you, some of you have been studying the nature of God, and you'll have studied in the Scripture some of these things about the nature of God, the very important fundamental things about who God is. But there's other things to understand about God, and this is what we're, where we're going today. Because if we only knew those things about God, we might view him as some sort of just vast impersonal force, some sort of mystical energy, some sort of unknowable energy field. As a kid, I read lots of science fiction books and I, I watched lots of um, Star Trek on TV. And the USS Enterprise is always encountering things like this, these, these vast cosmic beings. These, uh, you know, for, from the 60s um, uh, science fiction effects, you know, it was kind of vast swirly clouds of color and they would glow and they speak and they would say things like, you cannot comprehend me, puny mortals. You know, in that kind of 60s sci-fi sort of a way. But our God, it's way more than just some sort of vast, all-encompassing, vague power. If we look at God and how he presents himself to us, what he says about himself, as well as his vast power, as well as the knowledge of all things, as well as all that holiness, there is one thing he says again and again and again about himself. One image, one word that he's desperate for us to know and understand about himself. One way of getting inside his heart about who he is and how he wants us to see him and how he wants us to relate to him. One word, this word, Father. Father. Yes, God is vast and powerful and holy, but he's also personal and close and devoted and kind, like your dad. Look at the words in Hosea. Look at what we read. They're almost unbelievably tender. Look at this. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Now God's talking about Israel here, but it applies to us too. This is no vast impersonal force, no big glowy cloud. This is the image of a parent with a young baby carefully and tenderly lifting up to cuddle it, to feed it and care for it. 
my missus has this more than me. But you know when you see, sometimes you see a wee baby and you just kind of get a little bit of a gut punch? You know, the old cute aggression thing. Do you know what I mean by that? You know, you see a wee baby and you just go, oh, you're so cute. That thing. Now, this description of God isn't quite that, but it's not that far away. God tenderly and passionately loves us. He's our Father. And he's keen that we understand what being our Father means, what being children of God means. Think of when um, Jesus taught the disciples to pray. He gave them a model of how to speak to God. And most of us here, I think, probably will know that prayer. How does that prayer start? I mean, how could it have started? It could have started, oh, holy Lord. That's a core concept of who God is. You could have started that way. That would have been fine. Or you could have said, almighty God. That would have been a fine way to start the prayer. That's who God is. It could have been entirely appropriate to start that prayer with a big list of all God's titles, an inventory of his awesomeness. That would be no less than he deserves. Absolutely. But how does it start? It starts with two words. Our Father. Jesus consistently talks about his father. He uses the image of God as a father all the time when he preaches. One of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told, one of the parables that he told, was about a um, a son who had squandered his existence on um, foolish living and was unexpectedly forgiven by the love of a father. The apostle Paul, in his letter to the church in Rome, says this, in Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is telling us here how we shouldn't relate to God like we are servants or slaves who are owned property or employees. No, we, we are it's much closer than that. We're like sons and daughters. The fact that God not only allows us to call him Father, but encourages us to do so, should be a revolutionary thought for us. Here, all that power and wisdom that we just talked about, wrapped up in a relationship that's personal and intimate. I think about this a lot, actually. You know, I, I think about why I'm still a father of God. Why am I still walking with God after all that's gone on in my life? And I certainly still believe the, the core truths about God. You know, I'm convinced that the way the world is set out, the way it works and doesn't work is the way that's described in Scripture. I believe that the, the way the morality is set up, the way that the law of nature um, finds itself, uh, points together to something that is, is, is definitely best described as God. And he is the most rational explanation of the things that go on down here on earth. And, and more than that, I believe that God is three people in one, that Jesus is the image of God, that he died for me in the cross and was raised again. And I believe that by faith, I can have life forever with him. All of that, I believe with all my heart. But here's the thing. Life with God, I have found, is more than just a set of beliefs and concepts. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. And when I think about all the times in my life, when it'd be easier to walk away from God, it hasn't been all really all those concepts that I firmly believe and ideas about him that have kept me on track. It's been that feeling of relationship because walking away would have been to abandon my father, would have been to abandon someone who's really close to me. It's not that I feel like I just believe in God, but that I know him. Do you know what I mean by that? And it's one of the biggest cliches in the Christian book, but what is really important about having a faith that survives 
is to be sure that we just don't know about God, but that we actually know him. Years and years ago, it was a good while ago now, there was a visiting speaker came to preach, and it was so long ago, I don't even remember the guy's name, I don't really remember too much about what he said, but there was something that he said that really struck me. He was just giving like a testimony, he was just telling the story of how he became a follower of Jesus, and, and he was telling the story of his life and all that God had done. And, um, but what struck me was that he, he told the story in, in a way I'd never really heard before, because he said there was a time when he, he came to know Jesus, you know, when he got saved, when he committed his life to Jesus but then he related another event he said and then there was the time where I, I realized God was my father and all through the rest of his story he just talked about it that way you know the, the, there was the, the, this this happened after the, I knew God as my father this happened before I knew God as my father but it was like it was almost like a second event now this, this is this guy's story I'm not saying that necessarily everyone should have for that but it just struck me that that was a dividing line for him in his life was the moment when he realized that God was his father. It was that important that he remembered the time it happened and everything kind of was before it and after it. It's really important that we know God is his father. The God revealed in the, in the passage in Hosea is a God of emotion and passion who cares for us in a way that we actually recognize like a parent for a child. And therefore, it's okay for our responses to him to be emotional and instinctual, instinctive as well. You know, anyone that knows me knows I'm all about rigorous thinking and sound reason. But there's an element of living with God that's always going to be wilder and less structured than that. Living with God is a relationship. Again, big old Christian cliche, but it's true. And it's a relationship with all the emotional connection that that involves. God loves us like a father loves a child, like a husband loves his beloved. More than we can measure or even catch hold of. And in fact... I've been speaking for quite some time now, and that's the only truth I want you to carry away. I I'm hope that this is the simplest sermon I've ever preached, because it's got one point, that God is your Father. I don't have anything much more to say than that. And, and please don't mistake simplicity for lack of weight. This is not nothing. To say God is your father, it may be an uncomplicated statement, but it's huge in its implication. I mean, stop and think. Unpack this for a minute. What does the fact that God is your father mean? If God's our father, we will be less afraid. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. We're no longer slaves to fear. The Bible says we read it because we're children of God. We need not be afraid of anything in this world. And we certainly not be afraid of God because he's a loving father. If God's our Father, we'll be less ashamed. God's the antidote to shame. For God looks on us in love and care. And his grace is all around us. If God's our Father, we'll be in less need. God tells us not to worry. Jesus says, talking about his Father, that, you know, human people, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more does our Heavenly Father know how to give good gifts to his children? Our resources are limited. His are not. If God's our Father, we will not be unchanged. Because of his love, God will never leave us where we are. As a loving Father, he'll discipline us. Not in spite of his love, but because of it. Occasionally you hear Christians getting upset that, you know, things aren't going the way they've, they've planned, that this isn't quite what I had signed up for. But God will take you on the hard roads because he's... Just that touch more concerned with your holiness than your happiness. Now, he is concerned about your happiness. 
but he's more concerned about um, perfecting you. The implications of God being our Father are not small. I'm going to get the band back up and we're going to close now. Like I said, I hope this is a simple message. I hope this is not complicated. But it is important. God shows us that he's our Father and tells us that he wants to be seen as our Father and it's really, really important. And I guess the only question that remains is, well, how do we respond to that in our lives in this morning? I'm guessing maybe for some of you, this is absolute news to you. You know, you have this vague idea that maybe well, we're all kind of God's children, but that, that, can I just put, point out to you or suggest to you, this is a, what I'm offering here is something different than that. This is about following God and this is having a real close, intimate relationship with your heavenly parent. And access to that is an offer today. It's not cheap, but it's good. So if you want to start the journey of walking with God today, please come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. But I'm guessing looking out here that most of us, many of us, have already settled that issue. We've already decided to walk with God. We've set our path to follow him. And how many of us, here's the question, how many of us have the closestness with our Father that we would like? Are there some of us who, despite following God for years, the primary image we have in our gods of our head is, what is it, an angry school teacher? An unimpressed examiner, an unconvinced judge. How many of us are work, just working hard to impress him all the time, feeling like we fall short? How many of us say that we understand the idea of grace and love, but in practice spend our lives trying to appease God? We say the phrase, God loves you, a lot, and sometimes it can be diluted by repetition. Years ago, someone reframed that. And it's not quite the same, but it helped me to, to understand what God thinks when he looks at us, how we relate to God. I read in a book once that God is nice and he likes you. God the Father is nice and he actually likes you. He's delighted with you. If you dropped round to God's house unexpectedly, he would not be annoyed. He would be delighted. He would love just spending the rest of the day with you because he's your father. Now, this is not the same as saying that God's delighted with everything you do or they will not take you in hand if he thinks you need to change something. But it's the case that God's face is turned to you in kindness. Here's the question. Do we see God as our Father who is nice and likes us? Do we even notice he's there or are we too busy with our own stuff? Or do we even find God at all? I know some of you have looked hard for God and it seems like he's hiding from, from you. For those of you who God seems silent, can I persuade you that he is actually closer than you think? Or perhaps, maybe even there's some people here who knew God the Father and all that meant, but you deliberately walked away from him. You took yourself out of that relationship. Something or someone seemed more important than him. Something seemed more real, more worthwhile, and you walked away from your father to chase something else that you thought would make you happy. And if you've pushed God away and you've found that cutting him out in your life has not made you as happy as you thought it would, then remember, God's always on the lookout, like that father in the story of the prodigals, and always on the lookout for your return. He's desperate to have you home again. And he'll be there in an instant if you just turn to him. So wherever you are with God, all of us will do well to understand the fatherhood of God better. And that's what I pray for us all today, that we'll see God our Father with more clarity now than we did when we first came into this room. And I'm going to finish soon.
and the band leaders in worship before we go. And I, and I was thinking, how, how do I end this? Because I, I want us to make some sort of response. And it just occurred to me, would you mind if we did something kind of old-fashioned? At the risk of being a bit school assembly here, can we say the Lord's Prayer together? This is the model that Jesus taught to pray, us to pray. And it's something we can and should use as prayer. And, and of course, the reason I want to do this is because of those two words at the start. Our Father. I hope those two words mean more to you now after my talk than they did a minute ago. And of course, what that means is that I need you guys to give it loudly, right? I need you to be there right at the start. From I don't, I don't need you to be there three, three lines in. I need you to be at our Father, right on it, yeah? And by the way, if you don't know the prayer, we're going to have it up on the screen. And we're, we're going to, there's different versions of this. We're going to go with um, a forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us rather than trespasses or debtors. And we're going to use the bit that's not actually in the Bible, but it's, it's a doxology of kind of long-standing tradition, the, um, the, the power and the, for years of the kingdom, the power and the glory right at the end. So we're going to stand and we're going to say that, and then once we've done that, I'll pray and then we'll, the band will take us home. But let's, like I said, let's hit this with gusto. Just channel all those um, Sunday school meetings and school assemblies back in the day. And let's all pray together to our Father. Are you ready, folks? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you for taking the time to listen in today. We pray that this message has been an encouragement to you wherever it finds you. If you have found it helpful, why not share it with someone or leave a comment? To find out more and stay connected, you can follow us at One Church Scotland through our Facebook, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. Take care and have a great week.